Rockwood. Ed Caligari is from Rockwood. And he, I'm so excited to have him on the show for a number of reasons. And I'll just give you a little tidbit. We could talk about this later. But if it wasn't for Ed, I never would have went into recruiting and I never would have started my recruiting business. So I owe him a whole lot, even though he may not realize that or know that. I, I really sincerely appreciate that. I don't even know if you remember when I came to your office like years and years and years ago, and um, you were gracious enough to talk to me about what it's like, and I decided to take a stab at it. So I really want to lead off and say, I really appreciate you because you made a big difference in my life, whether you know it or not. So. Well, I'm glad you're not blaming me. No, <laughs> no, not at all, man. Not at all. So, Ed, maybe you could tell a little bit about what you do, because you've been recruiting for 30 years. So you have a really great perspective of like what's going on and what people should expect. Uh, thanks, Jack. And thanks for having me. Um, My pleasure. Yeah, I've actually been in the business. Uh, it was 37 years this spring. And, wait, wait, 37? 37. Oh, uh, you're like five years old when you started? That's crazy. Oh, I was. 11, but it, it was uh, a very different business than it is today. Uh, but uh, and this is my second firm, and uh, we started Rockwood, uh, Rockwood Search Associates uh, 15 years ago. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've come a long way, but recruiting has come a long way. So uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about Rockwood first. Um, we place uh, HR professionals, that's the team I run, uh, financial services, marketing, real estate, educational technology, uh, accounting and finance. And uh, this year we've, we've gotten into IT. Uh, we, we've started placing people in the tech world. Sounds a little counterintuitive, but um, we've got a, a nice client base. So uh, we, we really see uh, a, a variety of positions in a variety of industries and, and mostly at the mid-level. With HR, from what I have always seen, HR similar to recruiting, it's like the canary in the coal mine where we see things first. What are you seeing in HR? Uh, is there still a lot of hiring? Are they downsizing? Are they layoffs? Are they slow walking the whole interview process? It, it's all over the place, but the, the general trend right now is that, that HR is continuing to hire, but very selectively. Um, I think what happened was the pandemic pulled a lot of hiring forward. And so uh, from somewhere around the, I guess, the second half of uh, uh, second quarter, maybe of 2021 through 22, it was almost a frenzy. We couldn't find enough people, and particularly for recruiters. And I think a lot of companies were going through such tremendous changes and people were relocating to different locations. So there was a, a, probably an over hiring. And what we saw then beginning really this year, the genesis was the fourth quarter of 22, but it accelerated to 23, where there's been layoffs and there's been a pause in hiring, which is just now starting to thaw a little bit. But companies definitely overhired, they definitely overhired recruiters, and certainly in the tech world, we've seen that. Uh, so the, the general uh, trend right now is that the slowdown seems to be easing a little bit, and we're, I think, coming out of it. Is it also like a double-edged sword there if, let's say, HR people and recruiters are laid off, then when a company does have a job, requ you know, require, you know, job opening, 
does it get slower because you just don't have the people now? Well, there's that, but there's a, a lot has changed beyond that. Um, one of the things that is uh, it's interesting right now is counter to what you read on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all day, and I see yeah. lots and lots of posts and articles that talk about how the interview process should work, and if it's too long and it's too slow, and it's too cumbersome, and they're losing candidates. And I think the only people that seem to be paying attention to that are the candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, most companies still have their process and the process is the process is what you hear. So I think things are slowed down for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think there's a perception that there, there are lots of candidates out there. So, you know, companies are always looking, do we have anybody better? So we've got this person, let's see if we can get somebody even better. And then they wait too long and they lose the person that they thought they had. So, um, but the trend really is that the process is, has not changed. It's, if anything, it's gotten a little bit longer and more people are thrown into the mix for an interview. And so that's, uh, that's something that's a little, little puzzling right now, but that's what we see. You know, I'm glad you said that because that is a, it's one of the biggest frustrations that we have here is that the process goes on forever. It's decision by consensus. You know, if you're a mid to senior level person, you have to meet with three, six, nine people over like six months no feedback, really, no constructive criticism. And then as you pointed out, it's almost as if they just want to say, wait, we like Jack, but let's keep looking. Maybe there's someone better. We like Ed, but let's keep looking. And it just goes on forever. Exactly. And the part of the problem also is when you have that many people in an interview process, especially when you have more junior people that are involved in the process, they feel compelled to find something negative to say about a candidate. Somehow they don't think they're doing their job if they like the person. And so, well, they're great except for this or they're lacking that. So the more people you put into the process, it almost feels like nitpicking at a certain point. And uh, that's a turn for a lot yeah. of candidates. It, it almost feels like they're looking for fault instead of looking for what's good. You know, rather than saying, yes. hey, what, what does Ed do really well? It's instead of like, now they're looking like, what's the, hmm, what could be the issue with Ed? What am I missing? What's the problem? So it's almost like backwards, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, another problem is you see, you know, candidates are really um, working very hard, to, especially the ones who are out of work. And there's a lot of people out of work right now that are applying to lots and lots of ads. And there's a, a great level of frustration with the silence. Did you receive my resume? Did you like my resume? Should I reapply? And so I think one of the, the general problems is, and you alluded to it a few minutes ago, is there really is a lack of feedback. Mm -hmm. and, and that is something that hasn't changed and it should, but to not even get an acknowledgement that you sent your resume in response to an advertisement where you filled out an application, you submitted your resume, and you don't even know that they've received it. That's, that's a little disheartening, although it helps our business. Now, why do you think, it is that way where you know, someone goes on an interview, they put the time, the effort, energy into it, and then nothing, no feedback, no constructive criticism, you know, no guidance. Uh, I don't think there's a blanket answer to that. Yeah. Uh, we have, I have clients, some clients that are great, and I get feedback literally within hours. And I'll get a whole write-up. I have some clients that will give me the strengths, the weaknesses, the things you have to watch out for with a candidate. And it's, it's fantastic. And I have other clients that I might get a feedback that says, pass. 
That's it. One word. Pass. <laughs> no, no <laughs> reasons why. No, it's just like, nope, nope, pass. Right. Exactly. And then it's, you have to go back to the candidate and say, when they ask you, Ed, like, why, why didn't they, you know, choose me? Or why did they, you know, say anything negative so I know to improve? No, can't, can't give an yeah. answer. Right. But part of it is that most talent acquisition teams, they've gotten fairly lean. And I think that slowed down the process a, a little bit. Do you think, okay, do you think it could also be this? You know, when, you know, I started recruiting, when you started recruiting, you work the phones, right? You pick up the phone, you talk to somebody, you meet them in person. Now it's on Zoom. You don't see anyone in person. The, I don't mean to say this in a negative way, but like the millennials and Gen Zs are not too keen on picking up a phone. So you lose that. So you lose that kind of connection. And you have like a buffer between the firm and the candidate because you don't have that, that back and forth. Well, that's true. But on our side of the business, as, as a recruiter mm -hmm. uh, and uh, on the agency side, we really need to speak to the candidates. Yeah. If I have a candidate in the loop in the process uh, with a, one of our clients, I want to speak to that person live. I don't want to send them an email, have it go, and then have an email reply that went well. That doesn't help. I want to hear their voice. Right. I want to hear how they sound. I want to hear if there's still excitement. And you would think the clients would want to do that as well. But um, I think, again, you know, it depends on the company. There's different companies have, you know, put more effort into it. But I think in general, we've lost that, that, that regular conversation. And I think one of the things that you lose when you don't have the conversations, you lose momentum. And even when somebody's excited, the company should hop on that. They should jump on that. Person's excited. Let's let's yeah. see them through the process. But I think with the lack of conversation, there's a, a certain tendency with email. Well, I can reply to that later. And the next thing you know, you're looking at emails after hours or early in the morning. So I, I think the conversation is uh, is a lost art that uh, we really need to focus a little bit more on. And do you think like AI now is going to be even harder than ever to have those human interactions? And it just makes it even tougher moving forward. I think it depends also on the type of position and the level we're speaking about. Uh, I think uh, on the more mid and senior level roles, I'm not so sure how much AI is going to have to do with it. I understand about you know looking at keywords and, and so forth uh, on, on resumes, but I think that um, for the most part, I'm not sure AI is really going to be able to help companies tremendously on positions that require human interaction. What you say for the candidates, you know, given that we were talking about, they don't really get feedback, they're not sure what's happening, they're frustrated. What can they do to advocate for themselves to get noticed? Now, clearly, as you as a recruiter, myself as a recruiter, we want to have those conversations, but it's really getting through to the hiring managers or the HR people, or the internal talent acquisition. What can they do to try to, you know, make sure that they get noticed without being a without being a pain, because like they're annoyed that it makes it difficult for them. But how can they politely, persistently advocate for themselves? Well, for the candidate, it's tough. They're not going to get anybody at the client company on the phone, typically. So they're going to have to follow up with emails, and they're going to have to be specific in their emails. And I think one of the things that candidates need to do 
And I see this all the time. And the, it's interesting that the more junior the candidate, the more they need to help, of course, is instead of focusing on uh, why they would be good for the job, they're focused on what they want. And so I see it all the time. And a candidate would say, well, I'm interested in this position because it's remote, or I like the location, or the hours are great, instead of focusing on what they can bring to the table and what they could do for the client. So I think that's something that candidates need to do. And they can reach out to um, the interviewers and you know, discuss the interview and, and speak specifically about things uh, that they discuss in the interview they can add value and give some concrete examples. I don't think there's enough of that. I think that if people are going to advocate to themselves for themselves, they have to talk about what they can do for the company rather than what the company could do for them. That makes a lot of sense. It's it's in, in addition to that, what could um, you know? What do you think they should do in terms of putting together a pitch, or how they could approach a recruiter like yourself, so that you would say, hey, I really want to help Jack out because it seems like he has the right skills and background. What can the candidate do? This is, well, they can be respectful of the process. Mm -hmm. They can send you an up-to-date resume and have specific points that they want to highlight for themselves. They have to make themselves attractive to the recruiter. You know, as an agency recruiter, we're pretty much focused on finding candidates who fit, not necessarily the candidates who are in front of us. And I think that um, it's important for the candidate to demonstrate to the recruiter why they're a good fit for a particular position and why their experiences are relevant. And, and it really entails looking at you know when, what you have to know who the company is, but drawing some um, some uh, you know analogies of what you've done in the past that would make you a good candidate for that job so that you want the, so the recruiter wants to present you as a candidate. What do you see now in the market generally? Is, is any one area, because you guys focus on a, several different sectors, is there anything that stands out that's really hot that you would suggest people who maybe, if they want to pivot to that area to try to take a look at it or others that you feel is not so good and maybe that's, something to stay away from? Well, if you, you know, I can speak specifically towards human resources, mm -hmm. but in general, and this isn't something that a lot of people want to hear, changing direction in your career is a difficult thing to do under any circumstance. And it's really difficult to do through a recruiter. Um, most recruiters are tasked by their clients to find people with very specific skill sets, experience, right down to the size of the company and the industry they're in. Mm -hmm. And I get emails all the time or requests from people who want to change. They might be in education, but I'd like to get into human resources or whatever the case is that they want to switch. That's something that a recruiter really can't help you do. And you're probably wasting your own time. And if you're not getting a, a reply, it's probably because the recruiter is looking at your resume and saying, yeah, that's great. I understand you want to change uh, the direction of your career and you could probably do that. But our clients are paying us a fee to find people with very specific experience. And unfortunately, you don't have that. So I think that's a tough one. And I think the candidates need to understand that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a pain point for a lot of job seekers where they feel, hey, I'm smart. I have a lot of skills and I could certainly pivot and do X and change over. 
and they don't realize maybe you can, but like there's not an appetite for that, especially in a market that's not hot. If it's like blazing hot, if you go back to the great resignation, okay, that maybe you could cross over because it was just a real big need for people and bodies. In this kind of market, it's hard, you know, if you don't have those skills, they're going to keep looking for someone who does have, it, right? They will. And especially in a tight market like this, where companies are really looking at their headcount, they're going to hold out for that. Mm -hmm. well, I don't want to use the term purple squirrel because <laughs> it's overused, but companies will, they'll buy their time and they'll wait. And because it doesn't help the hiring manager to bring in somebody who doesn't have any idea what you do or how to do it. And I think that's something that, that is not really taken into consideration. You know, recruiters, headhunters are not magicians. We don't create the positions and we have limited uh, ability. You know, young recruiters or junior recruiters ask me all the time, what, what makes a good recruiter? And I tell them, giving the client what they're asking for. And, and that's, that's a hard part. So, you know, we're sort of social workers in some regards because we speak to people who are in dire straits sometimes, you know, I, I, you see it on LinkedIn, or you get a phone call, I lost my position, I've got a family, I'm the breadwinner, I need to get back to work, please help me. And you want to help everybody, but at the same time, you have to, you know, produce the candidates that your client's looking for, or we're out of business. So that that's a tough one. So I, I don't think, you know, going to recruiter is always the best case for a candidate. If you don't go for a recruiter, do you have any advice for someone how to kind of get their foot in the door with a target company that they're interested in? There any, is it through networking or do you have any kind of advice to say, hey, how can I kind of, you know, cut in line and get, get the attention of somebody in one of these companies that you're interested in? I think the word you just used, networking, is the answer. And I think that... Um, you know, if you look at statistics of how many, how people find their jobs, a very small percentage are found uh, finding their jobs going through a headhunt. You know, it, it might be whatever, it, it varies, but let's call it 15%. You know, the other 85%, uh, a big chunk of that are through personal referral. And that's what really worked best. So if you were dying to get into a company, you have a target company, try to find someone you know in that company or somebody who knows somebody there and have a conversation with that person and try to work your way in through an employee referral. First of all, there's no fee. Uh, and if you have a connection, then you've got a better chance of having the conversation. That's really the best way is finding somebody who knows somebody, you know, who knows somebody in that company, or you know somebody in that company yourself, and try to work your way in through a personal referral. Are there, are there any other things that they could stand out? What do you think? Are there a or it's really pretty straightforward. Uh, it, you know, kind of this business in a way is kind of simple, right? In terms of the things you can do and things you can't do. Well, it, it is straightforward. Yeah. And, you know, for larger companies, it's more difficult because mm -hmm. they are using AI and they are looking at your resume and they are, you know, looking for certain phrases or keywords in order for you to be noticed. And that's where the personal connection comes in. You know, it's very frustrating to apply to a, a job board or to an advertisement on LinkedIn directly to the company, because I mean, you'll see, and especially right now, there's a, a sh there's a, not enough recruiting positions, lots of recruiters out of work right now. And if you look at a job, I was noticing a job this morning with a company, uh, a media company that was looking for somebody in talent acquisition. They had 514 applications shown on LinkedIn. 
514. Yeah. So it's difficult to stand out if you're one of those 514. That's where you need to really do your homework, do a little research and, and try to get in touch with somebody who inside the company who can help you. See, with those numbers, I, I think LinkedIn makes a big mistake because you'll see, I'll, I'll post jobs. I don't know if you post a lot of jobs on LinkedIn. I'll post jobs on LinkedIn and you'll get 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 responses. And I got to tell you, more often than not, maybe two or three look okay. Maybe one is someone who maybe I could do something with. And I think what ends up happening, it deters people who do have the experience because they get frustrated because they look and say two, three, 400 people applied, forget it, I'm not going to do it. But they don't realize that most of them are just shooting their shot and they don't have that background or experience. So it kind of well, backfires. Yeah, there's think? too much of a scattershot approach. There's too many people that apply to too many jobs, even if they don't have any chance. And what I see is a lot of people will apply to a company to a posting that has nothing to do with what their skill set is, but they're interested in that company. So I'll take a shot. So, you know, out of that 514, my guess is there's probably under 10% that have any remote connection to that role. It's, I'm telling you, I don't know what you say, but I see sometimes it's the craziest stuff. You know, it'd be, let's say, I'm searching for a chief compliance officer. You know, that's kind of a role, the type of things we have. And I'll get an Uber driver. Like, what do you do? Like, why, why are you bothering? It's not going to make any sense. I'm sure you're smart. You're great. You're, you know, in what you do, but it doesn't make any sense. You're just clogging it up and making it more difficult for everybody involved with the process. Just one more piece of data that someone has to deal with. No, it doesn't. And another thing where candidates, though, are hurting themselves that I, I think isn't given enough attention yeah. is the um, compensation requirements. I think people are shooting for the stars. And I think everybody thinks they're a great negotiator and they'll ask for too much money and they knock themselves out of consideration because they're asking for too much. You know, if they say, let's say they, they'd be happy to pay salary of 100, but they think they have to ask for 130 or 135 because it's a big negotiation. And I think uh, the more junior the candidate, the more money they're asking for. I think that's, there's a disconnect there too. I think there's a misconception about how compensation works. And, you know, I understand we can't go back to the old ways of how much you're making. I, I, we both remember, I'm sure, when candidates had to present pay stubs to yeah. show how much they were earning. Yes. And there was just uh, lots and lots of friends required a pay stub or uh, the verification of your compensation after you received an offer and how many, you know, heartaches were, you know, occurred then because then people couldn't just, couldn't back it up. But I think that uh, it's gone too far the other way. And, you know, you'll have somebody making $65,000 who now wants 120. And it's, it's, it's unrealistic. So that's something that is really a trend right now that um, I think is hurting the candidates also. So what do you think? So for a person who's negotiating, and it's hard, you know, if you don't have a recruiter to, have, you know, to, to fight for you, and you have to do it on your own, it's really awkward. So like, what would you suggest to somebody? What's a, what's a, and I know every, everything is going to be every, each situation is going to be different, but Ed, what would you suggest how to go about if I'm trying to say, Hey, I want to get X amount of money to do it in the right way, sort of to make it happen. What, what would you suggest for people to do? Be realistic and be truthful. Okay. Say what you want. And, and you, you know, 
recruiters are, are smart and they're they know what the market is right. and i mean i have candidates ask for compensation that's way higher than that position calls for and i know it if i know what my client knows and I, so i think people just need to yeah. be realistic and they need to to be straightforward i i think it's really you know i tell people this all the time there's a lot less negotiating that goes on that people think there is this isn't like you know you, you're a shohei otani and you're going to be negotiating a several hundred million dollar contract so the swing can be 50 million dollars you know there's a salary ban yeah. and companies have salary bans and there's this and, and every company wants to come in somewhere around the midpoint of what the salary band is and um it, it just doesn't happen to not really so the negotiation is in a very tight range and i think that um you know, companies should be trying to make the candidate happy walking in the door. You know, I hate when the client says to me, what's the least amount of money they'll accept? And I don't want to ask a candidate, what's the lowest you'll accept? Isn't that the worst thing, right? That They say that all the time. It's so awkward. All the time. So it's, it's crazy. Ridiculous. What's the least amount of money? Yeah. And, and you know, the How candidate says, well, what's How the most really amount of money you? you'll pay? So, <laughs> you know, one of the things that's happened in the world we're on this topic, it, it, it was a double-edged sword. So, in New York and other states, you have to post a salary range. And you know, some companies take it seriously and some companies are, are silly. I, I mean, I've seen ranges of 75 to $200,000. Right. That's the range. Okay, so they, they've covered all the bases. But whatever range you put, that's what the candidate wants. So if you tell a candidate the range is up to $150,000, how much are you looking for? 150. 100%. That's the craziest thing. To me, that was a big mistake, the way they did that, because they anchor to the higher number because they figure, of course, I should get that 150. Of course, I should get that 250, even if they're not worth it. And then even if, let's say, it goes to 150 and they're not worth 150 and they get 120, whatever, they're going to feel like they were ripped off. And then they're going to complain and go on social media and say, I can't believe this company. They took advantage of me. Absolutely. What they right? don't understand is the company put down the salary range yeah. and the range for that salary band might be 125 to 160. And they want to commit at the midpoint because they need room to yeah. grow that person's compensation over yeah. time. So if they give you the top of the range, there's nowhere for them to go yeah. in that position. It's, it's, and, and I've seen this and I hear this from people all the time. They get frustrated. They'll come to me and be angry. Like, hey, I tried to apply, not through us, let's say for someone else, like, or whatever. And they're like, hey, I should get this. But, you know, they're just, you know, instead of giving me that 150, they want to give me 100. Well, the person probably is only worth 90 or 80. So they're even, it's ridiculous. So they walk away feeling that the company is trying to cheat them. So it backfires, I think. It really makes the company look bad instead of maybe trying to, put an asterisk next to it. You know what I mean? Here's the range. However, maybe give a little bit of color and context why, what you would need to have to get that higher end or what would you need to get a middle end? So this way they can look and go, okay, I'm not going to be a jerk and ask for that higher because I realize I don't fit for it. I think it would help, right? Wouldn't that simple hack just make it easier? You would think so. You, you would definitely think right? so. And also cut out a lot of bad feelings. Well, you know, the other part of the, you mentioned bad feelings, uh, uh, you know, the candidate experience, that's talk, that's, it's, it's dealt with quite a bit on LinkedIn. We see all sorts of posts. My feeling is that the companies aren't really paying attention to that. And I think that the candidate experience is really important because if most of your employees come through employee referrals, 
Uh, if you had a bad experience getting into a company, you're not going to recommend that company to a former coworker or a friend. So I think that um, a lot is written about, a lot is said about it, a lot is said about, you know, spoken about improving the candidate experience, but we don't really see it. You know, candidates left hanging out to dry for a long period of time where there's no feedback, no communication. And then an offer comes out of nowhere two weeks after your last interview. And wow, I'd written it off. I've completely forgotten about it. So I think that that's one of the things companies really need to do, you know, flipping it back to the company side is to improve the candidate experience. And it's not that hard. It just takes being considerate of the candidate's time. They took the time to apply for the position or worse, you have an interview and no feedback. And if you don't get feedback within 24 hours from an interview, there's something wrong there. You should get feedback. You know, there's always extenuating circumstances, but that's another real problem right now. And I think it's, it's, it spreads across a lot of companies, big and small, that the process is too long and there's not enough feedback and the feedback isn't timely. And I think that is something that really turns candidates off. So the best candidates go to the best companies because they have a better experience and they're treated like they feel they should be treated. And the companies who treat candidates poorly end up settling for candidates that, all right, well, I'll take this job. So why do you think these companies do that? Because I see that all the time. It, it wasn't always this way, but you know, the like as you mentioned, you look on LinkedIn and everyone complains. They have the same complaints. So presumably, I would think executives, managers, HR people would look at LinkedIn and see how everyone's so unhappy and try to make a change. But no, nah, they don't. Like what? Well, what's going you know, on? And I'm generalizing, uh, obviously, right? I mean, I'm big generalization. But if, you know, in my earlier part of my career, recruiting was very different and you're not going to put the genie back in the bottle and, and it's not going to go back to the way it was years and years ago. But typically the recruiter was somebody who was in the business and that person was a human resource professional who knew the players at the company, knew all the, the, the team members. And so they actually had an idea of who would be a good personality fit. They understood the position. They understood the hierarchy. And they could really add value. But today, in many cases, talent acquisition is almost sort of separate and apart from everything. And that's one of the reasons you're not getting real feedback is because, you know, years ago, the recruiter would get up, walk over to the person just interviewed and say, what do you think? And now they have to wait for an answer back. Oh, they're out. So I think that um, it's recruiting has been in many cases separated from the line and the rest of the business so that the recruiter himself or herself doesn't necessarily have a great handle on what a perfect candidate for that role is. You know, that's so insightful. And I think that, that this will help illuminate things for a lot of people because, you know, when I started recruiting, the folks who I dealt with in HR were really seasoned, you know, five, 10, 20 years of recruiting experience. So they really knew their stuff in this sector that they specialized in. So they would understand it they would give feedback, they'd give advice, they'd give guidance, you'd have a give and take. And I think fast forward to now, it's not like that. So you have a, rel a relatively young person who doesn't know anything about that particular field. And again, I'm generalizing with this. So then they don't know what to say. They don't really know if this person's a good fit or not. And they're a little nervous to say anything because they're not sure. So it's a big, it's a big problem. It's a big, it, it creates a lot of chaos in this whole system. Absolutely. You know, we, we do quite a bit 
um, within financial services, and we do quite a bit within investment management. And those are smaller firms. In those situations, the uh, people responsible for recruiting are much closer to the position and much closer to the hiring managers. And you get good feedback. You get timely feedback because they have an interest in the positions being filled. I think at some of the bigger firms, you lose that and it becomes a process uh, mm -hmm. rather than um, an entree into a company, but it's all about the process. And I think that's where some of the larger firms need to maybe go back and, and look at their the way they do things and have the recruiting team a little bit closer to the hiring managers and have them understand the business a little bit better so that they can uh, know the players a little bit better. And which feeds into my next thing is, you know, we've gotten into a world now where um, how many days in the office? That's the biggest thing. So when you have a remote workforce and people are scattered, there's not that same connection. And this isn't a, me talking about how working from home is a bad thing, because I don't think it is necessarily. But when your employees are scattered over a wide geographic range, you don't have that opportunity to walk over to someone's desk and have a three-minute conversation. It's an email. When do you have time to connect? Oh, I can speak to you tomorrow at three. And the moment's gone. And I think that is, that's hurting the process right now uh, for everybody is the disconnect when you have work, a workforce that's scattered and people don't have the ability to just communicate in an informal way. Hey, do you think that's one of the reasons why there's a push to get workers back into the office? Because senior leaders maybe recognize that there's some problems out there and that by bringing everybody back, it could help a little bit? Well, I think that's part of the reason. I, I mean, I think there's so many reasons, and I really think it depends on the industry uh, and, and the individual leading the firm. So I think there's, there's lots of reasons for that. But part of it definitely is, you know, and, and it's interesting because if you say certain things about working in the office, you'll get an eye roll from some people. When you talk about collaborating, you talk about, you know, socialization or things of that nature. Uh, if, you know, my, my own opinion is, for what it's worth, that I think hybrid's a great thing. Hybrid's definitely here to stay. And I think that everybody should have the ability to work remotely a day or two a week so they can get certain things done in their life and they can have a better life. But I also think it's important to be in the office, to understand what the company culture is, to get to know the people that you work together with. And um, so I, I think that, you know, the reason that companies want people back in the office is, well, for senior managers that, who tend to have been in the workforce a longer time, it's more comfort. They get to see the person. They get to see them working and they get to know them a little bit better. I think it's really tough. During the pandemic, we were placing junior people who were working remotely. They would be, you know, one or two years out of college, start a new job. They would be shipped a laptop. They would be given login instructions and, okay, go to work. And they're sitting at their kitchen table working for a company of, you know, 10,000 people. And they only know the person who onboarded them remotely. So I can see where a manager would think that's not ideal. So being in this business for 37 years, right? Starting out at like a five-year-old being a recruiter. What, what do you see? What do you see? What do you think is going to happen? How are things going to play out in this kind of market? Do you think we're going to be in a recession? Do you think we're going to get through this? What's, what's your take? 
Well, as to whether or not we're going to be in a recession, I have no idea. You could yeah. read, uh, if you you know look online, you could, you could get a million different answers. I think that, um, listen, I, I came into the business and, you know, first there was a stock market crash of 87. And then there was the long-term debt crisis of 95. And then in 2001, you had 9-11, of course. And then you had the world ended and the meltdown of 2008, 2009, and then COVID. And somehow we've always come back and the job market roars back and companies still hire. So I think that eventually, you know, everything will return to something like it looked before the pandemic. It's already sort of there now, but there'll be changes along the way. And a lot of the changes will be for the better. But I think some of the trends that happened during the pandemic, I think like everything, we overshoot. It's, you know, it's just like the, the rubber band. There's always a snapback. And I think that's what we're in right now. Uh, but I think that, you know, the employment market's going to be fine and companies will continue to do what they're doing. And the better companies will learn from everything that happened during the pandemic and, you know, take into account the things that worked and forget about the things that didn't work. So, so you're net positive. So you're looking back and saying, hey, we've been through so many ups and downs. It's just, you know, that's how it is. And then you just roll with it because eventually things will turn in your favor. So even if we talk about high inflation, high interest rates, high costs, somehow, some way, it seems that America, we're able to figure our way out of this stuff. So it's, I think for the audience, it sounds like what you're saying is just, just stay the course, don't freak out. Even if you're in a tough spot in between roles, don't give up and just keep going, right? Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying and be positive. Absolutely. I think you have to be positive. Because, you know, again, if you look on LinkedIn every day, like, like I do, and I'm sure like you do, yeah. you see people, success stories every day. They found a job. They've been unemployed for three months, six months, nine months, but they found a job. And eventually the people who stick to it and network and are diligent about it, they do find a job and they do get back on track. And I've seen people over the years who look really down and out and you see them now and they're doing phenomenally well. I think it's a matter of keeping a positive attitude, but being smart about what you're doing also. You know, I'm glad I, you said that because I'm curious about your opinion on this. What drives me a little bit crazy when you have somebody who has that open to work banner or just saying something like, hey, I was laid off, but then they give no color, no context, no nothing. And so like, wait, how can we help you if you're not helping yourself and saying, hey, I was an accountant doing such and such here's what I want to do next. Here's how you can help me. Here's the kind of company I want. And then a recruiter or anybody else, hire manager say, oh, sure, I'll help you. But a lot of people, it's just to your point, would just like shrug their shoulders and say, hey, I lost my job. What was me? Do you see that? Do you, do you see that happen a lot? Well, we do see it happen, but not as much because the people we see are the ones who are advocating for themselves. We don't right. see the people who are just sort of shrug because they <laughs> sort of fade into the background. We're seeing the ones who are promoting themselves yeah. and we're seeing the ones who are out there the most and asking for help and you know there are candidates who reach out to me on a regular basis hey i'm still out here i don't want you to forget me and i appreciate that and something listen recruiters are human um you, there was a candidate that reached out to me today and i was like oh wow i hadn't I, you know, thank you and i had a job i thought that person fit and it turned out well they're interviewing my client tomorrow through another source Ooh. so yeah, that hurt. But the, the fact is that the, the people who um, 
advocate for themselves and are out there, put themselves out there, they're going to get results faster than somebody who shrugs and sits back and hopes for the best. So speaking of LinkedIn, what would you say for someone? How do you stand out? So let's say you're in a certain space, very competitive, lots of other people looking. What should they do to get noticed, like raise their hand? And so a recruiter or a hire manager or an HR person sees them and says, hey, I want to, you know, I want to talk to Jack. I want to talk to Ed. I think they need to do their research and figure out who they want to approach mm -hmm. and direct message those people. I think that just posting something on LinkedIn, a banner open to work is nice if you've got a network of, you know, a thousand people that are going to see that, but most people don't. So posting something on LinkedIn that you're open to work and you're looking for a new job or you're out of work right now, that's going to have limited value. If you're going to use LinkedIn effectively, I think you need to do spend a little time and figure out the names uh, of people who are in companies that you're interested in and reach out to those people with a resume and a decent, you know, snapshot of yourself and why you'd be good for that company. And I think you're going to have better results that way than hoping for somebody to notice your posts. You might as well put a billboard up in Midtown and hope people see it. Well, it, for LinkedIn, it is kind of you put up a billboard, right? You know, you, you make comments, you comment on other people's, uh, you know, things that they write about, maybe put a little short video. So there, there is that av ability. And so a little takes a little work, right? A little time and effort, but that makes you stand out. Well, to the people you're connected to, yeah. sure. If you're not connected to them, they're not going to see you. So, so your take is like, and I, I like what you're saying, it's really basically moving forward, really focus on what you want, the kind of job, the kind of opportunity, and go for it. And you want to make sure you have the right skills, the right ability, um, the compensation is reasonable. And just so it really kind of narrows down to have some core basics to succeed, right? It sounds from what you're saying, this is kind of like a, a business plan that people could just you know, emulate from what you're talking about and just put into action, right? Absolutely, and, and we see it. The, the people who approach job search like any other task and dedicate themselves to it, they don't have to do it eight hours a day, you know, six days a week, but you certainly wanna put a couple hours a day in every day and have a methodical plan to reach out to people and to companies and to just continue to do that eventually will pay off. And every success story that you see, probably the person did that. So is there anything I didn't ask you, Ed, that you'd like to share, whether about Rockwood, about what you guys do, or just in general, people who are uh, you know, curious about how to get a job and how to navigate their careers? Well, you know, I think that uh, people should um, use every means available to try to further their career or to find a job. I think that going to Headhunter can be very, very helpful, but the Headhunter has to have an opening. You know, one of the things that we say all the time is, you know, we can't create the job. So we only have the positions that we're working on. But um, I think that in order for people to be successful in their search, they do have to be diligent, methodical, keep at it, and keep expanding their network and mm -hmm. use your network. And when you see a position open at a company that you're interested in, find somebody at that company that you know and ask them about it. Ask them to be your advocate. 
But right now, I think that we're in sort of a weird place in, in the job market and, and the whole cycle of things. We're coming off an event that nobody ever anticipated and the pandemic changed things in so many ways. And there's been so much change that I think that um, this isn't normal. I, I, don't, I, I don't believe this is the new normal. I think we're going to go back to something that was a little bit more um, uh, familiar to everybody. And I think that all the things that happened with, with people getting sick during the pandemic and, and, and worse, and lots and lots of people moved. And I think that people um, in general need to be a little bit more realistic. They need to be realistic about what an employer can offer. They need to be more realistic about what they're worth and about how they're going to be attractive. And I think that once you inject a little realism into your job search, I think that you'll be more successful. And you know, one of the things that we saw was people felt and were told you could work anywhere, you could live anywhere and work anywhere because you can remote work is the wave of the future. And I think that was overdone. And I think that's a big disappointment to people. So I think people need to consider their life choices and where they've chosen to live. You know, it used to be that people moved to certain places because there was employment opportunities. And I think it's going back to that. I think that, you know, the idea of living wherever you want, but you could work at a company a thousand miles away, I don't think that's necessarily realistic going forward. Yeah, I love your practical advice because unfortunately that happens to so many people where they said, hey, you know, they told me I could work remote forever. So I moved to a lower cost area, bought a new house, put my kids into different schools. And now all of a sudden, you know, Amazon and Meta saying, nope, you got to get back in the office. So I, I, it's good advice for you to say that to people to be aware, even if they say, hey, don't worry, it's remote. It'll be all good. Be careful, right? Exactly. So for people who want to reach out to you or others in your firm, what's what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Or do you have like it broken down by different recruiters or how does it work over there if people want to, you know, seek out your your help? Well, we have uh, at Rockwood, we have different disciplines as I mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, uh, human resource, of course, marketing, um, financial services, uh, real estate and educational technology and accounting and finance. And we have different teams for each of those disciplines. Uh, I'd be happy anybody could reach out to me and I'll direct them to the, uh, the appropriate person on the team, or you could look at Rockwood on LinkedIn. But uh, I think that anybody that wants to reach out to us, be happy to, to speak to them, happy to take a look and please feel free to contact me. That's great. And can you just give maybe the, the, you know, the, what is it? Rockwood.com. What's, what's, um, it's, it's, uh, rockwood-search.com. Perfect. But this is great. And I really appreciate you taking the time out because as you pointed out, this is a weird moment in time and a lot of people don't know what the heck to do. And, and I was so excited to have you on because you have 37 years of experience, the ups, the downs, the in-betweens, everything. So you're a voice of reason. And I, I, I feel that a lot of people listening to will feel better about themselves, realize, okay, it's not, it's doable. I can find that new job. I can advance my career, you know, I, and here's the way to do it. And hmm, it brought up some things that maybe I was doing that I shouldn't do. And maybe that's why I didn't get that job off, or maybe that's why I didn't get called back. So I think that very practical, grounded advice after 37 years and placing thousands of people. I think that's going to help a lot of folks now. So I really appreciate you taking the time out and helping everybody. Well, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Excellent. Well, thank you very much. And again, once again, thank you because you got my start in recruiting. Did you remember that or no? Do you have any idea? I actually do remember it. It's 271 Madison. It's a long time ago. It was because I went over there, this Paul Starsha I work with, and I went, this is probably, it'll be really quick because I know we're, 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 you're pressed for time. So I was, went to a recruiter and, and this is probably a story you hear all the time. You go to a recruiter and then the recruiter tries to recruit you to be a recruiter. And then I was always interested in starting my own business. I thought, hmm, this is a way to do it. And Paul Starcher, guy who I work with, said, hey, I know this guy, Ed Caligari. He runs a, a, a big search firm. Meet him. And I sat down, met you, and you seemed like a very nice down-to-earth guy. And you had a great office. Everything looked awesome. I'm like, you know what? If he could do it, I think I should try. I'm going to give it a yeah, shot. You can do it. Anybody can. <laughs> Dude, seriously. And I went back and I, and I told my wife and said, this might sound crazy, but like, this sounds really interesting. This is something I think I can do. What's and funny is you just mentioned a middle school friend of mine. Paul, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's who I haven't seen him in years. But we met in uh, seventh grade. Oh my God. Do you still say to stay in touch with him or no? Uh with his brother. Yeah. More with his twin brother. So amazing. Isn't that funny how life works out? So if it wasn't for that, I probably never would have went into recruiting at all. Be a whole different thing. And I really love recruiting. So it was fantastic. So it was, it was so great. And I appreciate if you were like a jerk and, and mean or whatever, I probably would have said, I'm not going to do this. But you were you were really considerate and nice and polite and gracious and gave your time. I'm like, all right, I could do this. And and the rest is history. So I really appreciate it, man. I, too, I appreciate you coming on today and I appreciate you know, back then. So thank you very much, man. Pleasure. Thank you again. Uh, take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah.